We're here to talk about what God is doing in missions around the world as far as unreached people groups. Uh, Kathy and I had the privilege of going to the Philippines, and we served there for 22 years. We've been with New Tribes forever, it seems like, a long, long time. Uh, I grew up in Stouffville, Ontario, and Kathy is raised in Cottam, Ontario. Anybody heard of that place? Cottam. Born in Windsor. And um, we met at University of Guelph. I'll tell a little, bit, a little bit more of that story in a bit. But we are just really glad to be here. I'm warmed up because I've already spoken once in the other service this morning. So uh, I'm excited again to be here amongst you and to talk about unreached people groups. The Philippines is interesting. It's a country of 90 million people. Their greatest export is people. They have over 10 million people sitting around the world. And uh, I was acutely aware of that when we were out in, in, in Western Canada recently speaking in Bible colleges, starting in Steinbach Bible College and working our way right across the West in five different colleges. And every Tim Hortons is full of Filipinos working there. It's really amazing. And it's nice to be able to go in and be able to talk to them in their language and watch them warm up. When we were in the Philippines... Um, just the cultural acquisition was quite interesting. And when we were doing our, our language study there in Tagalog, learning the Philippine national language, I remember often being in the market scene. They call it the palenque. And it's a market scene. And, and um, uh, we look distinctly different. Uh, coming from the West, a Caucasian. My roots are, are from Germany. Uh, my mother from Eng- England. My father out of Germany. And so we have distinct features. And the Filipinos love to look at my nose. And uh, they, would, they would be walk through the market and they'd go like that. And they'd be sending, you know, all the signals. And then I'd hear them say, uh, a couple of people said to me one time, they'd say, Uy, nakakamatay ang ilong mo. Which means your nose is able to kill. Don't you love it? <laughs> They're all flat nose over there. My wife always thought she had a flat nose until she went to Manila. So... Praise God for our differences. Isn't he wonderful the way he created us? Absolutely amazing. Let's hear from God's word for a few moments. Uh, we're going to go in a lot more serious vein here and uh, look at God's word and see what he has to say for us this morning. I'm going to quote, first of all, from Luke 19, verse 10, where Jesus says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost came to seek and to save. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then out of the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says this, and launching off of that thought that Jesus said, uh, look what he says in, in verse 20. He says, My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by somebody else. I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. You see, God has a plan. Our intentional, deliberate God who created us and all peoples in this world has a plan. Spoken of right here, the plan spoken of, revealed in through the scriptures, those who have never heard will hear, those who have never been told will understand. So we have a God who's committed to that, a God who is very passionate this morning about reaching those who've never heard. And in this mission month, 
of this body of believers, this local church assembled, and you've dedicated a month to hear about missions, I, I hope I can challenge you profoundly and deeply with what's yet to do on planet Earth. There's still lots to do. There's some great news to share, but our God who has a plan is raising up ambassadors all over this world. There are mission trends happening today in the world, trends happening. It used to be that North America was the primary sending force for missionaries around the globe. That is no longer the same. It's no longer the west to the east. There are other countries that are are engaged deeply in training and equipping of, of their people and sending them out worldwide. And it's exciting what God is doing. How does someone like my wife and myself ender up in, ever end up in world missions? A girl from Cottam. How did she end up in the Philippines? Well, we, we went to University of Guelph, and that's where I met Kathy. And it was during those years of, 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 of study there. I was in a geology, geomorphology major at Guelph. She was a fine art major. And in the midst of those years of study there, in that secular University of Guelph, we heard about unreached people groups around the world. We were attending a local church at that time in that city. And, and that church kept having people come through. Kind of like what I'm doing this morning. I'm up in front of you. I'm saying, there's people in this world that have not yet heard. And, you know, it wasn't that many years ago that that number was around 2,500. 2,500 distinct languages, distinct people groups that had not yet heard even once. But now we're saying it's more like 2,200. We're going to show you a visual of that in a little bit. So we're heading in the right direction, and we're, we're believing God that, that uh, in the years ahead, more and more and more are going to hear this wonderful news of a Savior. But we heard, we heard about that, and, and during the course of our study, we were challenged deeply at a heart level, because that's where God goes. You know all the levels of communication and there's surface communication. Then you go a little bit deeper and you end up down at level four, which is real, real gut issues. Our God is about gut issue communication. And he takes his word and he drives it down deep into our hearts. And he says, hey, hey, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you're here today and you know the Lord is your savior, you were once lost and I was too. And we have a world that... Uh, is around us, all around us in Leamington area, in Kingsville, in Essex, in Comber, wherever you want to go, in Wheatley. And there are people that do not know the Savior, and we'll even find some people that have never heard the good news yet. They don't know about Christ. And there's individuals. But listen, I want to say clearly this morning, but as a people group, as a language group, whether it be high German or low German or English, we have heard. We have heard. And if somebody from our people group that speaks English really, really wants to know about God, there is an infinite variety of mediums by which they can know. But what do we do? What do we do with those who are distinct languages and people groups and they have not heard yet and there's no way for them to hear unless some things happen? I'm talking about priorities. I'm talking about things that are really important. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul lays out a verse, a principle of Scripture, and he says in that verse, he says, I want you to understand the things that really matter, are of great importance. You see, there's highest matters and there's side issues in life. And you and I can often get hung up on side issues. God wants to drive home the thought 
that there are highest matters because our God is a God of missions. And so after graduating from University of Guelph, we took some time and I worked, and Kathy worked. We got together and we got married, and three months later, we ended up in missionary training. Do you know, sitting right here in Ontario, there's an intensive 18-month training course, a program that is, is equipping young people, candidates, middle-aged people. We don't care. Whoever comes in there, but we're, we're equipping people and giving them cross-cultural and church-planting skills that enable them to go over into people groups that have not yet heard. And we took that training decades and decades ago. And then we went to the Philippines. And, and, and in, that, in that context of the Philippines, we, we went up into a, a tribal group about seven hours north of Manila. And we got up in that area of the mountains, and, and there's just people group after people group after people group through this region of the Philippines called the Cordillera, the mountain ranges. And, and it's like the small version of the Rockies. And there's just people, group all, people groups all up through there. And, we, and God brought us into a group called the Ibaloi, about 150,000 speakers. And in that context, we moved in. We had to use the mission airplane to get in. There are no roads. There is no electricity in that area. And we began with our children, small children. Can you imagine taking your kids up into that environment? Why not? They got kids. They got kids, and they're living fine. Why not take your kids with you? Kids are a wonderful bridge into the lives of people. And we learned Ibaloi. We learned that culture, and it took a long time. I was telling the group earlier this morning that I grew up on a farm north of Toronto. My wife is from a farm in, Co- in Cottom area. So we know what it's like to work hard and, 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 and grew up doing that as young people. But I'll tell you, learning that language to a point of communication, fluency, of being able to stand up and speak in that tribal language was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And you know what? The motivation from God himself was saying, if you don't get this language and you don't, you don't get it to a level of teaching fluency, you're not going to have any ministry here. And God has equipped us. God has equipped young people. And, I, and, and we tested out very average in our language learning ability. But God has given us the capacity to learn language. How many here this morning speak more than one language? We all do. <laughs> and it's probably German, a lot of that, isn't it? Low German, high German, maybe it's Italian, maybe it's French. We can learn another language. And God helped us through that journey. We got to a point of teaching fluency and and then began some of those first moments, those first moments of my life as I got up and began formally teaching a group of interested people the truth of God's word. In that process, I had a, a young man named Simon Bangsiil. And uh, Simon was, uh, was, was running away from another town where he had been stealing chickens. And so he had come home to, to be safe. And he was just a young man, maybe 17 or 18 at that time. And I employed him. I said, Simon, will you stay with me? Help me learn this language. Help me learn this culture. And help me write... M- teaching material so that I can rightly communicate God's word to you and your people group here. He said, sure, I'll stay with you. He had no place to go, so he stayed with me. Every day he'd come down to the house, and we developed a friendship, and uh, he, he didn't know the Lord at that time. But you know what? 
during the, the, the years that he was helping me do te- uh, correcting the teaching materials and checking all that teaching material in that language, uh, one day he came to me and he said, he said, Manong, which is a, a term for like older brother. He says, Manong. He says, I, I understand some things now. He says, I know that I'm lost. And, and he says, I know that I need to trust in Christ as my Savior. I understand that. And it was around that time that he did that. And Simon came from darkness to life, from death onto life, and he was a new creation in Christ. And we were, we were so amazed as we watched God take truth and change people's lives, just like you're doing here. Just like you're watching yourselves grow and, and your young people coming into understanding of truth. We're, we're amazed at, at, at how God does that. And we're grateful and we're thankful. So Simon, who came from that Ebaloi culture, came to know the Lord. One of the first ones, first believers we saw. Now, let me explain something to you in some of the cultural barriers that an Ebaloi person would face. Do you know every culture has their barriers? And in Ebaloi, it's very interesting to look at the concept of sin. And I did this for the morning service, the other service as well. And we looked at this concept of sin. And for the Ebaloi, there are only three sins. Three sins that characterize their culture. And it's murder, it's adultery, and theft. There are three sins. And those three sins have nothing to do with a relationship with God. It has nothing to do between God and man. It's only horizontal. There's no vertical perspective involved with that in the Ebaloi's concept of sin. And many people groups are like that. And so, so uh, again, George? No, Henry. Henry, Henry was my, Henry was my um, accomplice in the first service. And this time, I'm going to be the bad guy. Henry was the bad guy in the first service. We are Eboloi. And I, as an Eboloi person, stole Henry's chicken. Okay? And I got caught. The bad news is I got caught. If I hadn't got caught, then no sin. But I got caught, now I'm guilty of sin. And so culturally what happens is we gather together the elders of the village. We, we take some of those older men and we come together and we have this, this ceremony called the tong tong. And in the tong tong, I'm guilty, my sentence is announced. It's like a court system. It's a trial system. And I'm tried, and I'm guilty, and I have to pay Henry back his chicken plus a fine. It's settled. Horizontally, it's settled. The sin is dealt with. And we go on. And culturally, they deal with that, whether it be adultery, theft, or even murder. Murder can be paid off in the same way. No concept of what it means to sin between a holy God and mankind. And we're coming in with a message that says out of the book of Romans, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I, I can clearly say that, that that message, that verse means zero. It's a zero concept verse for the Ebaloi. They don't have an understanding of a holy and a righteous God. Their understanding of God is that he, he, he may be the creator, but he wants nothing to do with mankind. Mankind is o- are only a pain in the neck. Now, there's some truth to that. We probably are. But... God wants nothing to do with them. And so sin only affects mankind. And in Ebaloi culture, they can atone for sin in a variety of ways. And the Ebaloi are caught up with 
will sacrifice and they butcher their animals, they kill their, their pigs and their water buffalo, and they'll sacrifice those animals to the spirit world, to the spirits of the dead ancestors, thinking that somehow they can make life better. They're caught up in this world. And we're coming in with a message that, no, you're, you're lost and separated from a holy God and you need a Savior. And the whole thinking around the fact that there's, a, there's a, a Savior, that Jesus came, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son means nothing to a culture that does not have a biblical foundation for an understanding of what sin is. You've got to have that. Otherwise, the message means nothing. And so the good news is that, that as an organization, as a mission, we, we recognized years and years ago, decades ago, that there's got to be a way to communicate to people that are totally biblically illiterate. Hello, Canada. We have so many people around us that are biblically illiterate, and they have no comprehension of who God is and why a Savior would ever have to come. And so what we did with the Ebaloi is we, we started in the beginning and we started with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we laid a foundation for who God is, who we are as mankind created in the image of God. We laid that foundation, created and designed to have a meaningful relationship with God, but something terrible happened. And Genesis 3 launches us into the whole understanding and meaning of death. Death entered the world through one man. And we teach that. And the Ebaloi's understanding came alive. And they began to realize that we're included in that. When one died, all died. Is that what the scripture says? And then the meaning of when one came, the man Christ Jesus, many could be redeemed. So we had the amazing privilege of coming into that culture and sharing truth with these people. And today, while there's lots of things, good things happened out there, there are a dozen or more churches. They have their own leadership. They're on their own. Um, they have the New Testament in their language. And, and the most amazing thing is that there's a whole group of Ebola young men and women who have been trained and equipped in Bible translation principles. And they themselves are putting the Old Testament into their own language. Awesome. Awesome what God has done. That's one people group. That's one people group. And I could tell you dozens and dozens and, and probably hundreds of people groups that have been reached. And they have God's word in their language. This morning I'd like to show you a visual of those who have not yet heard. And Wycliffe Bible Translators has a database, an ethnologue database, and they have a, a, a list of people groups that have not yet heard. So Kathy's going to come here, and, and Marie, Marie, would you help Kathy unroll this? Grab an end there. Oh, no, well, Henry's got it. Sorry. He's got it. Thank you. And uh, we're going to move in front of you uh, a list of 2,200 people groups that Wycliffe Bible translators in their database, their ethnologue, says these are distinct languages. These are distinct people groups in the world today in 2012 that have not yet had a chance to hear.
And we could list off several thousand individuals in our communities that haven't yet heard, and that's true. But these are languages, and some of them are only... A, you can drop that down, thank you. Uh, some of them are only a few hundred in population, but there are some that are a number of millions. They do not represent the majority of the world's population. Did you know that? The majority of the world of 7 billion on planet Earth today have some form, verses, or even the, the complete New Testament, or maybe the full Bible in their language. About 90-some percent of the people in the world would have some access to the gospel and to the message. And praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful? That's good news. So this, this represents a, a lesser percent, maybe 5 or 6 percent of the world's population, but they're... they're they haven't heard yet because they're hard to get to. There might be religious barriers. There might be political barriers. There may be geographical barriers. But they're hard to get to places. But they're still on the heart of the one who said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And who sent out the Apostle Paul, who said, my ambition is to take the gospel to places where it's not yet been heard. And so I, I come today as a representative of the living God, of Jesus Christ, a servant of the church, a missionary, a fellow believer, to say that I, I lay out before you, as I did out in the Bible schools in Western Canada, that I, I, I really think this is the world's greatest need. I think in 2012, this stands remarkably and profoundly the world's greatest need. Because the issues of eternity are at stake. It's sobering. As I said earlier, a few years ago, not that long ago, it was 2,500. It's 2,200 now. This past week, there's a people group in the South Pacific called the Baim. The Baim people group on a little volcanic island. Years ago, missionaries came in there. They learned that language and culture probably five, seven years ago. And just this last week, they heard that there is our Redeemer. And you and I today have, have brothers and sisters in Christ amongst the Baim people group. Do you know that in 2011, just through the work of, of New Tribes Mission, there were seven people groups that heard for the first time. Six New Testaments were dedicated last year. Six New Testaments. And it's the only book these people have in their language. The only precious possession they hold. Six were dedicated last year. If you take an average of 15 years of somebody's life to give the New Testament into some, a people group, how many years is that? It's a lot of time. What we're asking for across this nation... As Kathy and I get out, and, and we've been out there, and so we've seen what God can do in the lives of tribal, in tribal work. And we've seen God plant churches and, and use our lives. But we're asking that Canadians, Canadians, the U.S., that's south of us. I, I want to stick in Canada. And I want to get out and present across this nation, whether it be Bible schools or churches, that we have a job to do as a church of Jesus Christ. And the one who... The one who who said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, is raising up a host of ambassadors, ones who are spokespeople, spokesmen, ones who will literally get on their knees. And as the Scripture says, that we 
are pleading with people. We are asking people to be reconciled to God because don't we have an amazing Savior? Do you know today that your greatest need has been met? You, you have needs, and I have needs, but because of Jesus Christ, your greatest need has been met. And if that's all God ever did for us, if he did nothing more for you and I the rest of our days, we would sing his praises forever because we know we've come from darkness to light and from death unto life. Powerful, powerful what God has done. Let me close with a story out of the Ibaloi. One day I was up, up in a tribal area. Uh, I was up in an area where they were cutting wood. And um, they had these two-man saws. <clears throat> Actually, over the course of 35 years, they're using chainsaws now. But back then, it was two-man saws. You ever seen those hand saws? And they go back and forth, back and forth. And, and they had these big pine trees. Our, our, our Ibaloi area is up in the mountains. So it's, it's all big white pine up in that area. It's beautiful. And we built our house out of solid white pine. And so the Ibaloi were cutting wood out. One inch thick, 12 inch wide, 16 foot boards. Beautiful, beautiful timbers. But green wood is heavy. And so I was up with them, and I was talking with them up there, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll help you start carrying some of this wood out. And I grabbed two, one by 12 by 16, and put them up on my shoulder. You guys here, can you imagine? That's, that's going to be a fair weight, right? Green pine boards like that. And it wasn't just the weight, but it started to dig into your shoulders. You ever put something up in here, and it's like you got a pressure point in it, and it hurts. And, and I was, it wasn't very long, and, and as I was climbing the hill up out of that area, and to get to the, the top, and it was about a kilometer down into the village, I, was, I started thinking, I said, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be able to carry this. And so I began to wilt under that. And the Ibaloi saw that. And one of the guys came to me, and young guys, and we took a chance to rest. And he looked at me, and this is what he said in Iboloi. He said, Manong. Remember that polite term for older brother? He says, older brother. He says, Manong. Egmohaya. Mbalatitan. Albatantaha. Which simply means, older brother, that's so heavy. You can't carry that. I'll carry it for you. Wow. I was embarrassed. I was humbled. But God took that phrase I'll carry it for you. And he drove that home in my heart that day. And he said, you're going to use that. You're going to use this day at some point in your teaching. And again, as I stood up and talked to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, I could clearly say to them, unashamedly, you can't carry the load of guilt and sin that you have. You need somebody to carry that for you. Aren't you glad we have a Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ, our substitute, the one who bore that for you and I, Egmokaya, Egmokaya. He carried that for us. And so we use that in that illustration. And then later on, as I was teaching believers, just like here, and, and I, I'm, I'm teaching along, and I said, oh, do you remember that illustration where, where Manong Peter couldn't carry that load of wood, and, and we were struggling under that? He said, I said, guess what? You can't live, live the Christian life in your strength. There's no way you can do that. Who's able to walk this life in our strength of this journey that God's called us to? Ah, but by his spirit indwelt within us, we've been called to walk a different trail. 
Not by our strength, but by His Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So God used all these illustrations and our time amongst there to drive home truth and to provide the teaching and the foundation by which the church could be born. God's word penetrating a culture in their language, opening up their eyes. That's what God did. And we have much, much to give thanks for. But these numbers, not just a statistic this morning, friends, not just a statistic. And if you want to come up and look at this after we're done, fine. I, I was sitting in Prairie Bible Institute out there, and a, and a girl came running up after the time I, I was there. She came running up to me, and she, and she, and she told me about an, a, a name of a people group in Africa. And she says, i, I got to see if they're on here. She says, I've been praying for years, praying for years for this people group. And she came and she found it. She says, No, and she was just almost grieving. She was in shock. It's still here. And I said, well, this is a year or so old. They may have heard by now, or or they may have had somebody come. Parents, will you let your children do something like this? Will you let them go? My parents had to let us go. They gladly did. My dad was so excited about this, he couldn't wait to get me out of Canada. <laughs> he kept asking me, he says, when are you going to get to that country? I says, Dad, just be patient. We're going to get there. And he came and visited us. A farmer from Ontario came all the way into the Eboloi, flew in in that little airplane and landed on that crazy airstrip. And he said, hey, do you think I can plant rice with the Eboloi? Would they let me plant rice with them? I'm a farmer. And I says, yes, Dad. My yes, Dad, we'll do it. And I took him right to the valley floor, and he planted rice with the Ebali. My dad was fairly big, portly. And I said, Dad, we've, gone, we've come down the mountain, but we've got to go back up. And I said, I says, listen to me. I says, if you have a heart attack and you die, you're buried right here. <laughs> we made it. But he set the world's record for the time from the valley up to our house. We did it. And he came home and he was delighted. But he saw lives changed. He saw lives changed. Wouldn't it be great if people from all across Canada would engage this? Can it be done? There's a good question. Where's our statisticians? Where's our mathematicians? Can this be done in our generation? Here's an idea. Here's an idea. New Tribe's mission alone has 5,000 supporting churches in North America. 90% of those would be in the United States because there's over 3,000 missionaries with our organization worldwide. It's the third largest organization in the world reaching out to unreached people groups like this. We have 5,000 church churches that support us, whether it be prayer or financially or whatever. Do you know, do you know that if every church would give one couple, we could put a team of two people in every one of these people groups and have left over. Is it doable? Yeah. Now, that's idealism to the extreme. It's not going to happen. I understand that. But it is doable. It is doable. And so we're asking God, God, raise up people. You as the creator and the creative God, raise up people that are going to go out and say, I'm willing to invest my life in one of the most amazing challenges and tasks that you could ever do on planet Earth. 
world's greatest need as we sit here in 2012. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I'm humbled today, Lord, by the fact that I'm saved. And I ask, God, that you'd continue to take what we've looked at today, and maybe this chart will be the only thing that remains a week from now, lodged in our hearts and minds. But will you do something special through this church and any other churches we go to? Would you provide in such an amazing way for those who have not yet heard? Thank you for this chance to connect. Thank you for, for the willingness of this group to even listen to this. Would you continue to bless and encourage and excite us? But today we thank you for a Savior. Thank you that you loved us that much. In Jesus' name, amen.